Hello everyone, and welcome to That Time When, the comedy history podcast where we tell you about strange things that happen in history. I'm your friendly neighbourhood Amelia Edwards, and with me is my Jonah Jameson, Barnaby King. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> he dumps his hand on the desk and demands pictures of medieval eel rents. <laughs> I'm pleased it's Jonah J. Jameson. Ah, yes, I forgot the, I forgot the J. I apologise. There's so many J's in his name. God, I forget the name of the actor. Um, Me too, but he's great and he's I love great. him. He's great. He was in something we watched recently, some Wes Anderson film. Yes, he was. We've been watching a lot of Wes Anderson recently. <laughs> We've been doing a Wes Anderson movie extravaganza. Indeed, because it's half term and nothing says half term like Wes Anderson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, let's get away from that, though. Yeah, let's, um, let's do that. Let's get back into history. Let's get back into history. All right. So our story for today starts in Boston, America. Boston. 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 Quite. <laughs> Sorry. On the 15th of January, 1919. Okay. So there's a lot of ups and downs in Boston at this point. There is a pandemic on. Oh, is there? <laughs> yes. Oh, is it still Spanish flu? Spanish flu ah. had really affected the town. Yeah. Um, tomorrow, Prohibition is going to start. Oh, no. Right? <laughs> on the upside, World War One ended last year. Exactly. And <laughs> at this point in Boston, plans were being made for celebrations when the troops come home. Hey, excellent. So there's a lot of excitement. There's yeah. loads of stuff going on. Wait, why are the troops not home yet? Um, because it's only January and oh, right, yeah. it takes a while for everyone to cross oceans. Yeah, fair enough. I thought they were just like jamming about Europe. No, no, no. I mean, probably. Having a gap yard. <laughs> gap yard. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I expect that some of them did, but yeah. I think it just takes a while to get all that kind of thing organised. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I want you to imagine yourself in what's called North End Boston. Okay. It's a largely Italian immigrant area, mm-hmm. loads of workers, and it's near the harbour. And just around the corner, there's a bar where everybody knows your name. <laughs> dee, 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 dee. I mean, you can imagine that if you'd like. I will. Cool. It's going to be a speakeasy tomorrow. It, it will. <laughs> and... So imagine yourself walking along one of these streets. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's kids playing in the streets. There's loads of people loading Get out of the way, things. You little shits. Um, there's an overground railway that's um, one of those really high up ones. Mm. Get out of the way, you little railway shits. Absolutely. And the very last thing that you expect on this day is what happens at twelve thirty. As you're walking down this crowded street in downtown Boston, you feel the ground shake. Beneath your feet. Is that an earthquake? In Boston? In Boston? That's highly unlikely, probably. I don't know. I don't know the topology. (laughs) (laughs) And you hear a rumble behind you. Okay. Somewhere between the sound of an elevated train and a thunderclap. So incredibly Ah. loud. So it's the famous Boston running of the bulls is happening. Absolutely. You turn mm-hmm. to see a 25-foot-high tidal wave what? coming towards you at 35 miles per hour. Bloody hell, that's... Okay, um, I, part of me thinks that's quite slow, really, Well, <laughs> for, for a tidal wave. It's a little bit slow for a tidal wave, I guess. I don't really know the speed of tidal waves. Mm. There's a reason why it's travelling at this speed. Yeah. It's not made of water. Ah, Okay, it's made of soup. 
It's made of molasses. Oh, okay. In that case, that tidal wave is quick. Yes, very quick. And also, bear in mind, I'm not sure that cars really went at 30 miles no. an hour at this point. So, well, I think like, some of them maybe, yeah. but... You know, it's a rare thing, a 30 mile an hour thing you're seeing. Yeah. There's still horses on the streets. Yeah. And they are not going at 30 miles an hour. They are not. That would be amazing. (laughs) Super horses. Okay, so what are molasses exactly? So molasses, as far as I can work out, is basically you take sugar cane Mm -hmm. and then you melt it down. Okay, so it's a sort of like caramel or like treacle sort of thing? Yeah, I think we're thinking more like treacle. Yeah. Um, So... I think it's a bit more popular in America, as far as I can work out. Yeah. Apparently, America and hipsters are really into having uh, black strip molasses at the moment. Black it- strip molasses. Dra- Mo- molasses. <laughs> black strip molasses. That's like a tongue twister. It's very good, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is actually. Um, yeah, apparently it's meant to be healthier for you than like just sugar. Ah, okay. Fair enough. Mm. Um, and it got used for quite a few things. Mm-hmm. So at this point in time, it was really important to have loads of molasses because you use it to create ethanol. Ah. And ethanol gets used in munitions. Oh, okay. I I was thinking alcohol. (laughs) So, yeah, alcohol as well. It gets used in rum molasses. Yeah. But this molasses was mostly being used or would have been used to make dynamite and other explosives oh, okay. for use in World War One. Right. Or, or as you know, World War One is now over, but basically yeah, yeah, yeah. this is why there's so much molasses. Right, yeah, because 25 foot high, yep. that's huge. That's over two stories. Yep, it's a big old molasses. That like... Because I'm assuming that's why there's so much molasses is because they're doing, you know, munitions work. Yes. Right? Because otherwise it just seems like some sugary themed supervillain has come along and unleashed his <laughs> his city ending his city ending weapon of a molasses flood dr kane oh i like that yeah dr s kane dr s kane what's the <laughs> s for sugar <laughs> he's actually got a nightclub secretly i think oh yeah definitely um yeah so this is actually an industrial accident, which we will talk about later oh, okay. on. Um, but it's one of those things that just happened in history that's just so bizarre. Right. Like when you just imagine suddenly yeah. 25 foot of sugarcane syrup coming at you um, and basically sweeping everything in its way out of reach. Oh. Like, so the force of the molasses moving through the streets of Boston was strong enough to tip a streetcar off of the elevated railway. Whoa. As well as to sweep nearby buildings off their foundations. What? And then crush them. Oh my God, that's crazy. I know. I mean, okay, so, right. When I think of something like molasses... Yeah. I think of something very slow and viscous. Yeah. So we know that this is going at 35 miles an hour. Yep, it's very fast. How? How is that happening? (laughs) How is this like very thick substance? Like, uh, I'm thinking more like a glacier. Yeah. Like, you know, slow but persistent. Apparently molasses has some very strange ways. Right. Like, if you get... (laughs) Strange customs. It it has some strange (laughs) customs. Apparently, if you get enough of it... Yeah. Then... Yeah, it will be fast. Oh. I guess we're thinking a bit like the way that lava moves. Because, you know, we always right. imagine lava being really yeah. slow. Because it's literally melted rocks. Yeah. But actually, lava's really fast mm. sometimes. I guess it's kind of like, it's very dense. And if it's pushing in one 
direction then you've got a lot of force behind it yeah i'm just gonna find out exactly how much molasses this was give me a second cool Okay, the reason it's moving so fast is because it's more than 2 million gallons of molasses. Oh. Yep. Man, they were planning on making a lot of explosives. They really were. <laughs> um, we will get on to the company that's responsible for this later on. Ooh. But I think first I'm going to talk about like the effects of the molasses. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, so one of the buildings that got swept off its foundations was actually the fire departments. What? Oh no, you kind of need them for disaster relief. You do. And according to the Boston Globe, people were picked up by the rush of air as this thing exploded. What? And hurled many feet. Jesus. Yeah. So literally, this is like a volcano's gone off. Yeah. Yeah. In a very densely populated (laughs) immigrant area of Boston. A very delicious volcano has exploded. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Well, actually, that's a good point. Was the molasses hot? It was not. Ah, okay. Cool. It was a freezing cold day. Ah, wow. It just makes it weirder. This is like some sort of physics-defying molasses. Ah, I will explain the physics later on. People have done studies on the physics of the Boston molasses flood. (laughs) Of course they have. They genuinely have. It's wonderful. (laughs) Well, scientists will do just about anything. I mean... Uh, considering that the other day we watched a brief video on the BBC News, which was about some scientists trying to teach kangaroos to communicate with humans. Yeah. Which <laughs> is like, I mean, I love it. Cause... It really sounded like they just wanted a grant to go to Australia. <laughs> yeah, right. But, you know, fair enough. I would if I could. Oh, yes. Warmth. <laughs> mm, warmth and largely COVID-free. Yay! Okay. <laughs> unlike so, the plague lands that is Britain. Unlike, well, I was going to say unlike Boston in 1919, but that was a uh, flu, not... Yeah, true. Yeah. So you've been worried about the firefighters. Yes. One of them did die. Oh, no. Yeah, like while he was in the fire station, he got effectively smothered to death by molasses. Jesus. Yeah. What a way to go. I mean, you're going to be perfectly fossilized in sugar. Yeah. That's... Grim and delicious. Yeah. Um, But (laughs) apart from him, rescue teams of police, firefighters, doctors and nurses, as well as more than 100 sailors from the ship's USS Nantucket and the Bessie J worked to free people. Like the first people were the people from the ships because they were in the harbour. Yeah, makes Um, sense. But it was waist deep. And they had to make sure they didn't get sucked into it themselves. Wait, wait, wait. It was waist deep. Yeah. But the wave was 25 foot high. How tall are these people? <laughs> are we it's, going back to the land of giants? It settles. Okay, it yeah. settles yeah, down. Yeah. That makes more sense. Yeah. <laughs> so the firefighters would stretch ladders over the molasses so they ah. didn't get sucked into it and like pull people out. Oh God. I know. <laughs> it's so grim. It's so gross. <laughs> um so this was a really like this was a really major issue. Yeah. Um because 21 people died. Whoa. Yeah. Damn. So the majority of these were laborers. Um mm. this was a very laboring area. Yeah. Three of them were children, Aww. which is really tragic. Yeah. Um and one of them who is counted among the victims is this man Stephen Clotherty who 
was a troubled young man. Um, he's described as being mentally deficient. Right. So I suspect, basically, he was never able to work. Right. Um, and he was actually rescued from the molasses. Okay. But the explosion and the and being nearly smothered to death in molasses yeah. was so traumatic for him that he suffered from PTSD. Oh, God. And he died in December of the same year. Oh, damn. At the Boston State Hospital for the Insane. Oh, that's really tragic. I know. Poor guy. So I think it's... It's one of those weird stories because the fact is that getting drowned in loads of molasses is a hilarious way to die. Yes, yeah. But at the same time, like the details of it and when you get into it is really bloody tragic. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why I've held off on doing this um, for a little <laughs> while because ultimately it's a sad story. Um, but I think it's also super entertaining. Yeah, no, fair enough. I mean, it's... It's one of those things where it's like, if if you're going to go out that way, at least your death is, like, noteworthy. Yes. <laughs> like... Drowned in molasses is unusual. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also imagining, like, you know back when, like, cinemas were a thing in the before times, before I, re- I remember the before times, yes. Yeah. You know how, like, you'd go along linoleum floors there and they'd be, like, sticky because, you know, people drop their food and everything. Yeah. And you get that thing where you, like, get that horrible creaky noise as your shoes, the rubber on them, like, sticks to it and unsticks when you walk around. Yeah. I'm just imagining that is just what Boston was like for the next, like, few years. It was. Oh, wow. Yeah, because um, <laughs> they did they did clean up the mess but it took months yeah um and the thing was that everyone who went to go and help and like sightsee and Mm. help clean um then tracked the molasses stickiness back to wherever they were so apparently basically everything that bostonians touched for the next year was sticky (laughs) oh so grim yep it's really gross i don't like that at all yeah um so to talk a bit more about the rescue efforts, yeah, um, they searched for four days for survivors. Yeah, um, by the time that this was over, because it was so cold in January, um, basically the molasses had gone really, really viscous. Mm. It got very difficult to rescue people from it. I imagine so. Like, and and the more it cools, the harder it's going to get. Like, yeah. eventually, you've got to just like get out a pickaxe and just chop away at it. Probably. Um, <laughs> Apparently, many of the dead were so glazed over with molasses that they were hard to recognize. Oh, God. Which is one of those grim but hilarious images. Yeah. And that year, the sugar-glazed donut was born. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't Boston have a famous donut? I swear they do. I I think it does, but I I wouldn't be certain on that. Like, Mm. it sounds right, but I don't know. I don't know. Um, (laughs) But it does have sugar-glazed people. (laughs) So there was a legend that the north end of Boston smelled of molasses every summer for decades afterwards. I can see that. Yeah, so much so that there was this guy who was writing for a newspaper in the 1960s, I think, who said that when he was a child, the north end had always smelled of molasses and he always (laughs) took molasses in his coffee because that's where he used to go to a coffee shop and he always associated Uh, coffee and molasses as a result. Oh, I see. Which is wild. That is wild. (laughs) Yeah, God, I hadn't even thought about the smell. Like, 
I was mostly thinking about like the tactile mm-hmm. stuff because like that that, ugh, that yeah. creeps me out that really but yeah the smell the smell um yeah deep molasses smell like for mm. a long long time like very dark sugary smell yeah ugh. so <laughs> I know you've been wondering how did this happen I have yes <laughs> so I <laughs> because got- <laughs> one does not simply create a 25 foot tidal wave of molasses <laughs> like what like that I, I, my brain cannot even conceive of the circumstances that would bring this about. So I got a lot of my information on how this happened from a book called Dark Tide, which is all about <laughs> the molasses um, tragedy of oh, Boston. I bet they were so happy when they came up with that name. They must have been. It's really good. <laughs> so good. So I will recommend Dark Tide to anyone who's interested in learning more and yeah. particularly about the individuals who were affected by this mm. um, because the writer who I think his name is Stephen Puglio mm. um, did a, does a really sort of um, personalized version of the story in his book. Okay. Um, sometimes it's attributes a lot to of emotions to people which is really an interesting way of telling history and it makes the villain in this story so villainous it's incredible so there is actually a villain oh yes oh dr s kane sadly and his his club the candy cane this guy has got the most boring name oh it's arthur p gel (laughs) <laughs> <P-gel>. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear okay. sometimes i am such a child <laughs> so arthur p gel arthur p gel yeah you're right that's really boring it is but i mean gel is a viscous substance it is so there's there's, there's maybe mm. he rather than like a sugary themed villain he is a viscosity themed <laughs> villain <laughs> yes but then everything would have to do with like drowning people slowly (laughs) i mean yes but have you seen some of the villains that appear in like dc and marvel comics yeah this is this is nowhere near as bad as like condiment king or eggman well condiment king is a joke though i mean condiment king is but eggman is not yes (laughs) (laughs) okay so um arthur p gel was the treasurer of the purity distilling company right and Basically, he had a pet project was which was creating a tank to store molasses in in the north end of Boston. Okay. Okay, so the majority of this molasses was being used in munitions. Yeah. And so there was a massive demand for ethanol mm-hmm. suddenly in around 1914, 1915. Yep, makes sense. America didn't join the war until 1917, mm-hmm. but European countries were buying a lot of yep. munitions off of America. Yeah, so. I mean, even if America isn't involved, you know... They've got to be making that money somehow. Exactly, yes. And this is actually getting America out of the Depression. Oh, nice. Yeah, so, you know, there's there's a good side to this. Hooray! Hooray! So, because of this intense demand, they decided to build a massive storage tank for their molasses. Mm-hmm. It was 50 feet tall, Oof. which is the height of the average water tower. Yeah. Um, it was 90 foot in diameter. Whoa. And it had a storage capacity of more than 2 million gallons. Damn. Now, the thing was that because it counted as storage and not building, mm-hmm. it didn't need that many regulations on it. Oh, no. And it didn't need that many checks. Oh, no. Okay, so the problem was also that loads of things have been cu- like holding up the um, the building of this tank. Right. Um, so things like 
just issues with work issues with the snow because apparently boston gets super cold in winter mm, yeah um everything had been holding this up it took a year to build and aggressive woodworm <laughs> it's made of metal oh okay i imagined it as wood i don't know why possibly because it broke well yes that yeah it is made of metal okay well maybe, maybe this is why the woodworm was so aggressive yeah they were trying to get through metal <laughs> <laughs> poor things yeah right Okay, so he had definitely taken some shortcuts, Arthur P. Gell. Right. Um, so the one that I know about is that they were supposed to test the tank for leaks. Yeah. By filling it with water when they'd finished it. Makes sense. That's how my dad tests sandwich boxes. Wonderful. <laughs> Not that that will make any sense to anyone apart from my family. But they are key listeners. So hello, everyone. <laughs> No, I remember sandwich boxes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Jell ordered the crew to run only six inches of water into this what? tank. So this was enough to raise the water level above the first angle joint in the tank. But oh obviously it's not testing the whole 50 foot high tank. Yeah. It's six inches. This guy really is a villain. Like he, he's a villain in some sort of... Um, uh, oh god e- eco comic book thing yeah. you know like the the evil oil baron who just doesn't test anything and just wants to make money and doesn't care about whatever happens and, absolutely yeah. he's the captain planet villain yes he is really mm-hmm. <laughs> but for very specific circumstances yeah he's a captain planet villain for molasses yeah which actually has in other circumstances influenced um the natural world but we'll talk about that later okay okay so apparently the tank had leaked since it was first built like straight away it leaked yeah now this is not necessarily that strange tanks do leak yeah but it leaked really consistently right yeah apparently the local children used to take along tins so that they could (laughs) get like free drippings of molasses oh my god i know which i think is super cute but also a worrying thing you think he'd be more concerned about that because like obviously he's cutting corners when it comes to safety but now he's losing product like consistently yeah you'd think that he'd be a bit more concerned about patching it up i guess when you've got Two million gallons. Some leakages don't actually worry you so much. Mm. He was more worried about getting it done quickly. Yeah. And he did actually praise the people who'd built it for speeding the work along. Like, <laughs> there is a letter where he's like, thank you for speeding everything up. <laughs> thank you, blind Joe and one-armed Bill. <laughs> Your construction company is shoddy but efficient. <laughs> exactly. Um. So... The company had intermittently hired people to cork the seams. Like, Mm -hmm. they said, you know, there's nothing wrong. We keep getting the seams redone. Yep. But obviously, if you keep getting getting it redone, then there's there's something wrong with it. Yeah. Also, uh, they did some analyses of this back in, like, 2014. Right. Um, They had a look at some of the metal that was used to build the tank. (laughs) And it was actually plywood. (laughs) Well, it wasn't quite that bad, uh, but apparently the steel was half as thick as it should have been Oof. for a tank of its size, yeah. even at the time yeah. with like the very few regulations. And not only that, but the steel rivets were also flawed. So cracks were forming at the rivet holes and that's how the whole thing was just like falling uh, apart. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so apparently like workers had been raising issues with it yeah. the whole time as well. Um a worker called Isaac Gonzalez had even brought up uh, several concerns. He had been so worried about it that he slept next to the tank. He wasn't asked to do this. Oof. I mean, okay, 
I get you're concerned about it, but if you're worried it's going to, you know, burst or something, you are right in the firing line. I think he didn't imagine it would be that as bad as it really was. Right. But he thought that if something went wrong, then he could raise the alarm okay. and, you know, save lives. Yeah, um, that, that makes sense. Yeah. But, you know, considering what did happen... That is a life or death maneuver right there. <laughs> yeah, but like this really shows how worried he yeah. was. Um, he got told off for doing this, by the way. Like the Arthur P. Gell was like, you're making a big deal over this. <laughs> you're making a big deal. You are a little glazed, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, it's fine. So Isaac had also reported a phone call from an anarchist. Okay. Who had threatened to blow up the tank. Oh. Now, this was actually a real concern because um, for some reason around this time in the East Coast of America, there were a lot of anarchist groups Mm. and they had been blowing up a number of buildings associated with the war effort. Right, I see. So this was like genuinely a concern. Um, They did blow up a couple of buildings in Boston slightly after the Boston molasses flood as well. Um, Now... One of the sadder reasons that this all got ignored was because Mm. of the placement of the tank. Okay. So the north end of Boston was an area that was mostly occupied by recent Italian immigrants. (sighs) Right, I see where this is going. They were people who were not likely to complain about safety issues or the size of the molasses tank because Mm. many of them couldn't speak English yet. Yep. And most of them weren't citizens, so they didn't have a vote. And this also meant that you had a lot of people living in very close quarters who could very easily be ignored. Yep. God damn it. Most of the workers on the tank were Irish in origin. Right. So they weren't recent immigrants anymore. Yeah. And they had moved out of the North End. Right. So they weren't as concerned. It wasn't going to affect their families necessarily. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff going on with the building and construction of this and ignoring issues. Yeah. Now, the direct reason why the tank exploded was because on the 12th of January, the tank had just been filled with fresh molasses. Right. Now, this was comparatively very warm. Yeah. Whereas the molasses Ah, in the tank was freezing cold. Right. Now, apparently something that happens with molasses when you do this is that it ferments. Yeah. So it's going to expand, like mm-hmm. release gases. Mm-hmm. And then the pressure builds up mm-hmm. and you've got a shoddy container and mm-hmm. it explodes. Exactly. Right. And the tank was completely full. Yeah. So, yeah. So it exploded. <laughs> oh, my God. This is great. This is just like just shoddy company behavior all around it from really Mr. Gel. is oh mr gel <laughs> so yeah the aftermath of this though is actually quite good mm-hmm. because in 1920 yeah local residents brought a class action lawsuit against the united states industrial alcohol company which owned purity distilling okay and this was one of the first class action lawsuits in Massachusetts. Right. And it was the first class action lawsuit that was brought against a major corporation. Okay. So it really paved the way for this kind of thing to happen. Yeah. And it meant that people got better regulations. Ah. So this was called Door versus United States Industrial Alcohol Company. It mm-hmm. had 119 plaintiffs. 
Now, the company tried to defend itself. Yeah. They said the tank had been blown up by anarchists. Of course. <laughs> um, but after three years of investigating, I mean, wow. intense. Yeah. A, coin, a court appointed auditor found that USIA were responsible. Yay. And after the lawsuit ended in 1925, which is so yeah. long, the company had to pay out $628,000 in damages, which is the equivalent to $9.26 million today. Yeah. Um, and relatives of those who were killed were reportedly given the equivalent of $103,000 per victim. Damn. So, you know, it's still a great tragedy, but this was something that really struck at a company and said they had to be responsible and they had to do things the right way. And, and justice was done. And justice was done. <laughs> um, so that's the end of my story, really, on the Boston... Sorry. Molasses flood? <laughs> yeah, there we go. That was my end, the end of my story, really, on the Boston molasses flood. Um, there were some other interesting floods to mention, I felt. Okay. Um, but really, in terms of uh, massive industrial accidents like this one, yeah. they don't tend to happen as much anymore because of the class action suit yeah. that was brought, which is, you know... A really good thing. What is a class action lawsuit? I have no idea. Fair enough, because it gets used a lot, but we—I don't think we really have it over here in the UK. No, we we do different things, yeah. as you will see in my next example, which is a lot shorter. Ah, okay. So, before this, a hundred years before this, there right. was the London beer flood of October. 1814. That's much less viscous. It is much less viscous, <laughs> but it's still pretty deadly. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's a flood, like. Yeah. <laughs> you could like just water will destroy things. That's so, true. Yeah. So. Beer will destroy things <laughs> and get it lightly pissed. It will. Yeah. So this was a 22 foot tall vat of fermenting porter at the Horseshoe Brewery, which burst. Um, destroying the back wall of the brewery and sweeping into the St. Giles Rookery. Damn. So once again, we got a poor area. Yeah. And this was an area of slums that was largely inhabited by Irish immigrants. Yeah. Why does this always happen to immigrants? Well, they can be ignored. <laughs> I think that's true. Yeah. Um, so eight people were killed in this occasion. Right. Five of whom were mourners at the wake of a two-year-old Irish boy. Yeah. Which is so tragic. Imagine yeah. that you're mourning at a wake and suddenly eight of you drown in beer. Sorry, five of you drown in beer. That's tragic. That's... Yeah, that, yeah. that's horrible, but still kind of funny. Still kind of funny. It's kind of funny just because it's beer. Yeah. So this wave of porter was 15 feet high. Damn. Only 15 feet high. Uh, we're getting smaller. And it <laughs> destroyed two houses, Whoa. as well as flooding cellars, which is where people were living because yeah. it was a rookery. Yeah. They had to climb onto the furniture for safety. Damn. Um, in this case, they had a coroner's inquest. Oh, okay. Which I guess, I don't know if they do that in America. I don't know either. Hmm. So the coroner's inquest determined that this disaster was an act of God. Right. And the company, which is Mew & Co., did not have to pay compensation. Oh, for God's sake. However, Literally. <laughs> ah. However, the loss of the porter, along with the destruction of the vat and the wall, did nearly bankrupt the company. Damn. But as usual, they petitioned Parliament. Yep. And they were paid a third back of the amount that they'd lost. Uh, which was the only thing that saved the company. Mm. But it seems to pave the way for yeah. a lot of British stuff 
and mm. trying to save industry at the expense of the individual. Yeah, absolutely. And we see that a lot at the moment. Oh, we do. We yep. do. <laughs> so luckily, our recent bizarre floods have not... In- have not resulted in any human deaths. Oh, cool. Um, there was another molasses flood. Another one? Yeah. Where? Honolulu. Oh, okay. So the Honolulu molasses spill of 2013 yeah. um, was to do with a pipeline rather than a vat. Yeah. And as a result, it flooded out into a bay. Ah, right. Unfortunately, if you spill a load of molasses into a bay, it will kill the local wildlife. Yeah. Um, but... And so I think that this is another thing that's led to more regulation. Yeah, you'd hope so. Captain Planet's going to be on that. He is. You see, I told you <laughs> yeah. Captain Planet would come back. Yeah. I think this is definitely um, Dr. S. Kane. Yes. He's back. He's back. He's, he's back with his viscous floods. He's trying to kill the Hawaiian fishes. <laughs> And the last one, which I only mention in passing, but I've got to because it's such a funny name, yeah. is the Pepsi fruit juice flood of 2017. Wow. Well, that's so recent. I know. What the hell? Um, this was in Russia. Right. And apparently the ceiling of a warehouse collapsed belonging to Pepsi. Yeah. Um, which caused everything to like flood out. It was such a shame. The ceiling was made out of like those hard mints mm-hmm. and it fell into the vats of Pepsi and it just exploded, exploded like outwards. a volcano. Yeah. The <laughs> biggest Mentos flood ever. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, um I hope that you've enjoyed my bizarre stories of yeah. really stupid industrial ways to die <laughs> involving various liquids. Yeah, it does just seem to be, you know, people cut corners. Mm-hmm. Something goes wrong, mm-hmm. and next thing you know, you've got a flood of something weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it never happened to the puppy factory. <laughs> yeah. Oh, flood of puppies. So cute. So cute. Much softer, much less sticky. Mm. <laughs> so thank you so much for listening. You can follow us on Twitter at that time when four, or you can send suggestions for an episode you might like to hear at ttwpod at gmail.com. Thank you, as ever, to Kevin McLeod for our theme song Anachronist and pretty much any other music I put in here. And thank you to you for listening. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>